You may have seen the discussion going on up here and wondering what was going on. Well, I was asked to announce there was a uh, black Honda in the uh, parking lot. Your lights were on. And they came back and told me your lights were no longer on. So I don't know if that's good or not, but <laughs> don't worry about it. Your lights are no longer on. Kind of reminds me a few years ago, I was flying from Oxnard, California to LAX in a little turboprop. And um, we sat at the end of the runway and sat there and sat there. And finally, a, a voice in broken English came on the PA and said, uh, we had red light come on in cockpit. We make light go off. We take off now. Don't know if that's good or bad. I know it's not good that my slides haven't come up yet, so. <laughs> Many years ago, in the early 1990s, I believe, um, a movie was released called Groundhog Day. Bill Murray played a weatherman who was out to cover the annual emergence of the groundhog from its hole. And he gets caught in a blizzard that he didn't predict and finds himself trapped in a time warp. And he's doomed to relive that day over and over again until he gets it right. Well, I assure you this morning, this is not the sequel to Groundhog Day. Chris will be back next Sunday from his trip, and I won't be here in the pulpit again. So this is not the Groundhog Day sequel. Have you ever seen the media coverage of someone or who has suffered great loss maybe due to a tornado like this in Moore, Oklahoma, or maybe an earthquake like this in Haiti, or maybe a fire or a flood. Have you ever known someone who's lost everything? It's hard to watch. It's hard to see, isn't it? And by the grace of God, most of us will probably never have to experience something like that, but what if we did? What if we lost Everything. What if we lost family members in the disaster? What if we ourselves were afflicted somehow with an illness or a malady or some type of painful illness on top of the disaster? How would we react? The message from Job has always been portrayed as one of patience. In fact, James even uh, refers to that in James chapter 5, verse 11. He talks about the patience of Job, and that's certainly a great lesson. And of course, I think if God really wanted to test the patience of Job, he'd send him to the emergency room. <laughs> and I say that with all love and respect for doctors and nurses and healthcare workers who are forced to work under very difficult circumstances in a system that's broken sometimes. But there's other lessons from Job his faith, his perseverance, his reverence for God, and importantly, his hope. The story of Job begins almost like a play, if you will. There's a main cast, God and Satan, Job, his wife, and his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And just as in a play, Acts in the play, the other cast members will come into the story one at a time. But how does Job react in all this? So now we have the opening scene. God and Satan are carrying on a conversation. 
Lord says to Satan in Job chapter 1, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Have you considered my servant Job? God says. But Satan replies, he says, You've really protected him, God. You've made it easy for him. If you strike him with calamity, he'll curse you to your face. Continuing in chapter 1 of Job. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Have you blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land? But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Well, the next part of the play is the deal. Lord says, okay, very well. To Satan, everything he has is in your hands, is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And so the result... Job loses everything, his livestock, his possessions, his, his wealth, and his children. While he was yet still speaking, another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I'm the only one escaped to tell you. Job receives this news. He's lost everything. So what was his reaction? At this, Job got up and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground in worship, and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Okay, Satan says, that's not good enough. Tell you what, let's make another deal. If I can strike him personally, if I can strike him with something that affects him individually, his health, then he will curse you. Job chapter 2, verse 4, following, Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well. Then he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. Well, that's the deal, part two. What was the result, part two? Job replied, Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this... Job did not sin in in what he said. Even in today's technological age, no one will claim that life is easy. Trials and pain and difficulty will affect almost everyone, and no one is immune from suffering. But Job may have had probably the worst possible day and the worst possible suffering to ever fall on a mortal man. In mere minutes, he literally lost everything he had, wealth, possessions, 
and family. And yet, in these dire circumstances, he was able to bless the name of the Lord. If you read the first chapter of Job from verse 1 to verse 22, basically, all he does is bless the name of the Lord, regardless of his circumstances. Well, Act 2 begins, and it's Job and his wife. Job has lost everything, and now he's been physically affected himself. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Job has lost everything. He's sitting in a pile of ashes, scraping his sores with a piece of broken pottery. If there is anyone in my human self-estimation who has the right to complain and be angry and bitter and feel sorry for himself, it's Job. What about his wife? What advice did she give? Well, she no longer believed that he was righteous himself. Her advice was, his wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. But in no other response does Job feel, appear more restrained than in this one. In view of this diabolical action his wife is proposing here for him to commit, it appears that he would have been justified to be vehement and derogatory and angry. But instead he merely charged her with foolishness. Again, Job chapter 2 verse 10 There was no anger. Job replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Well, Act 3 will soon begin. Job and his three friends come on the scene. They came to support him, but in the end, all they did was condemn and criticize Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shufite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes, met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him at a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes, sprinkled dust on their heads, sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. That, uh, from the start, sounds good. When times are tough, we often lean on our friends for support or love and understanding. Job was not as fortunate in this matter because, in the end, his friends turned out to criticize and condemn and in, in lieu of encouraging him. Instead of, but instead of offering a defense of his friends, Job offered up a defense of God. And in turn, he revealed what a majestic and holy and all-powerful God that he served then and that we serve now. What about the quality of advice from his three friends? Well, God answers that. Skipping forward, taking a peek at the ending, 
After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not told the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now, with friends like that, you really don't need enemies, as the saying goes. And Job may need to surround himself with some new friends. Maybe sometimes we need to do the same. And I think there are plenty of Job's friends still around today. But the bottom line in all this is Job did not sin. He didn't blame God. He didn't blame anything or anybody. He gave glory to God. And if this were a play, in the end, the good guy did win. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought him. And each one of them gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. Now, there's no guarantee if faced with similar circumstances, our situation will turn out to be like Job's in the end. But our response to trials and difficulty and pain can mirror that of Job's. On the evening of April 25, 2011, at the town of Valonia, Arkansas, was partially destroyed by a tornado. The devastated area included many homes, a mobile home park, and the intermediate school. The tornado rating by the National Weather Service was a high-end EF2. Four people were killed as a result of the tornado. But the good down-home residents of Valonia began to rebuild. They had a renewed focus a renewed desire to overcome the challenges that they faced as a community. A new state-of-the-art intermediate school was being constructed, and the town of Valonia and the community hitched up their bootstraps, and they began to recover. On April 27, 2014, three years and two days later, in the late evening hours, a violent EF4 tornado Winds of 190 miles per hour slammed into Bologna just before 8 p.m. Meteorologists said if it had been under the old rating scale, it would have been an F5. Included in the destruction, 16 people were killed. Homes were swept off their foundations. A 15-ton fertilizer truck was thrown a three-quarters of a mile. Almost all businesses were damaged and or destroyed. Included in the destruction was the almost completed $13 million Bologna Intermediate School. Jeffrey Hunter was a senior at the University of Central Arkansas, and he was in the path of the storm, and he knew it. He was texting with his mother, who was safe in another city, and his last words were, Goodbye, Mom, it's heading right for me. And he was one of the 16 victims. In a few short days, we will begin a new year. 
None of us know what the year will bring. We don't even know if our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will return before then or if he'll return during the year. He may even return before it even happens. As James wrote in James chapter 4, what is life? It's a mist. It's like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, then it's gone. It dissipates. Some will suffer heartache in this life, varying degrees, maybe even in the coming year. Some in this world will lose everything, as Job did. Some will be revisited by calamity, like Valonia. Some in this world may experience calamity very unexpectedly, like Garland, Texas, last night. Some may experience calamity and see it coming, like Jeffrey Hunter. But for some, the coming year may be the best year of their life. For many, the year may simply be somewhere in between. But regardless of circumstance, there is a hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ. So the curtain's about to close, and the concluding, <clears throat> concluding act belongs to Job solo. Here it is from Job chapter 19. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. As long as we, God's people, will live on this earth, his presence, his direction, his blessings will always be with us just as it was with Job. We too are able to say, I know that my Redeemer lives. My question this morning for you is, do you know that your Redeemer lives? Do you know the Redeemer Have you ever met the Redeemer? You can come to know him this morning. You can begin the new year by knowing the Redeemer, by being baptized into Christ. Do you need to return to the Redeemer? Do you need to find him again? Do you need to surround yourself with some new friends and, like Job, find the Redeemer? There's no better way to start the new year. There'll be elders down in front, there'll be elders in room 100. If we can help you in any way, you can come now while we sing.